I was, um, I had my plans a bit disrupted this week. Uh, normally every, every Monday morning early on, 7 a.m., we get together with a group of men that are also able to get up that early and we, we have a Bible study together and that's kind of first start into really digging into the passage for the week. Well, Sunday night, I did not sleep well. I had some kind of sinus thing that wasn't, I wasn't really sick, but it was just enough to, that into the evening, all of a sudden now you get a little of this coughing stuff going on. <coughs> and it just keeps going. It's, it's, it's not real bad, just enough that you can't sleep and enough that your wife can't sleep. And so in times like that, I get out of bed and I go downstairs and do something for a while because it's no good both of us not sleeping. And uh, I ended up getting not a lot of sleep Sunday night. I, I woke up at just about 6 o'clock and I decided, ah, I'm not going to make 7 o'clock. That would not be a good thing to do. And so, so I sent text messages, had to call a couple of the guys. I think they were able to understand me that we weren't having our study that morning, go back to sleep. That's what I was going to do. And... Um, I went to bed again and woke up at 1 in the afternoon. So either I'm very lazy or I really was exhausted and needed that rest. I'm going to go with the second, okay? You can come to whatever conclusion you think is best. Uh, then, okay, I'm a little bit behind in the week now. I've lost Monday for all practical purposes, and, and I'm a little bit behind in the week, so I'm, I'm, I'm studying away. I'm looking towards Friday, and in the middle of the week, Evan and I have already talked about the message and what that's going to be like and how does that relate to the songs that he's planning. And, and I just am convinced in the midst of my, my study, and I trust prayerful study that I need to go a different direction. I need to back up. Something that we touched on briefly last week is something that's bigger than that. Something that we need to think about a little more fully, a little more deeply. And so that, well, now my study for the week is a little less than helpful. It's, it's, it's a good start on next week, though. Next week. Next week's going to be great. But what am I going to do today? I'm going to do this morning. And yet, God does things that way sometimes in the midst of our weakness. It's not out of our best preparation. It's not out of our best plans that he does his work. I was reminded of this, uh, that perspective is everything, especially in the midst of trouble. The changes in our plans, the interruptions, sometimes the terrible interruptions of our plan. I was a missions connection last Friday night. And just before the main speaker came out, um, there was another guy uh, who came out and was telling just a little bit about what's going on in, in, in some evangelistic ministry. His name is Andrew Palau. Now, Andrew Palau, some of you may remember him. He's the son of a well-known evangelist uh, who's based in Beaverton, but travels or has traveled around the world doing ministry, large events, uh, getting the gospel in cities, uh, big festivals, and so forth. Kind of the Billy Graham internationally of our era. And, um, and so Andrew, Andrew is his son. His name is Louis Palau. And Andrew actually spoke at our 150th anniversary here at Brush Prairie about four years ago. So anyway, Andrew comes out on stage, he's talking about, but one of the things he says first, he said, oh, I need to give you an update on dad. I need to give you an update on Louis Palau. He said, dad has stage four lung cancer. Ooh. Yeah, this ripple went through the room. I mean, the news has gone out, but that was the first I had heard of it that night. News has since come out into, into, the, into other channels, but I, we hadn't heard anything about that up until that night. Most of us, I think, in the room had not. There's a large room, and this ripples oh, all through the room. That's terrible news. 
You know, stage one cancer is like, okay, well, there's all kinds of stuff we can do about that. We're going to get to the doctor, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna do some tests, and we're going to maybe do some chemo if we have to, or maybe radiation, maybe certain, something. We can get this out of there. Stage two, it's, 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 it's getting more serious. Stage, stage four basically means, oh, everything that's been done, could be done, has been done. And unless there's a miraculous intervention here, this is it. This is stage four, not just stage four, stage four lung cancer. This is terminal. It's like, that's terrible. That is terrible news. Why are you ruining our missions connection with, with, with this terrible news? He went on to describe, he says, Dad, Dad is as keen for heaven as ever. He said, Dad's doing Dad's doing fine. What do you mean fine? He, he has stage four lung cancer. Dad's doing fine. He's as keen for heaven as ever. But the process is killing him. What a great way to describe that situation for him, for the family, for many others around the world who, who know this man and know his keenness for heaven and to be in the presence of his Savior. And yet... The separation from his family and from the opportunity to tell others about his Savior. That has got to be killing him. And, and, and it's, a, it's a hard process. It's a painful process. Weakness is a terrible thing. None of us signs up for it. And yet it comes upon us. And we ask, why? The passage just before us this morning actually explicitly tells us one of the whys. This is not the why for every time. This is not necessarily your why, but it is certainly a why, and it's a why that's big enough to sit up and take notice. It, it, it gives us the why does this happen, from whence does it come, and then what then will we do? If this is the way it is. We're, we're going back to chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians again. Paul, in this chapter, talks about his thorn in the flesh. He talks about a grand revelation that he has, and he talks about a thorn in the flesh that's given, given to him because of that, some physical hindrance that he endures and suffers through. And in the midst of that, we learn something about how Paul walked through thorns, about how we walk through thorns. He... Paul begins by describing a glorious vision that he has. Paul starts out, I know a guy. Let me read the passage. I'm going to read in, 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 in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 13, and then we'll talk about it. If you're following along in the church Bible, you'll find us, I think, on page 970. Is that right? If you've got your own Bible, I don't know what page that is. But if you had my Bible, it would be 1,424, probably not any help to you at all. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I must go on boasting. This, this carries on from 11 where he's, taught, where he's boasted in. He's a, a true servant of Christ in, in, uh, known by the enumeration of all the hardships, all the suffering that that calls for. He's boasting in these sufferings. Verse, 12, or verse 1 of chapter 12, he says, I must go on boasting, although there's nothing to be gained by it. That's so goofy. And we say, and then we would say, well, why then does he do it? Because our perspective is everything that we do is for some gain, for some increase, for some success. 
Not always. I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of that man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears of from me. I don't want you to think something of me just because I had this great spiritual experience. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation. See, now we know, oh, Paul's talking about himself here. Because to keep me from becoming conceited... A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to buffet me, to to beat me up, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I've been a fool. You forced me to it. For I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these so-called super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Paul begins, I know a guy. Now, we realize along the way that Paul's talking about himself, though he doesn't want to bring attention to himself. But Paul's talking about his own vision that he has, and he doesn't know if he actually spiritually died in the sense that, not spiritually, physically died, that his spirit left his body and actually went to heaven, and God said, no, not time yet, and he came back. Or if just while he was laying there, he has this vision. Uh, A lot of commentators want to suggest that this occurs in Acts 14. While Paul Paul has been stoned outside the city of Lystra, um, first they thought he was was, was, the, was the Greek god Hermes come down in, in a bodily form when he told them, no, I'm not? Then they said, oh, well, you've deceived us then, and so they stoned him for something he was never pretending to be. And they left him outside the city, stoned, left him for dead, and, and a lot of commentators believe that while he was unconscious or in a coma, whatever happened there, maybe he really died. We don't know. Paul doesn't make that claim for himself. He just says, I, I know a guy who saw something. Said I was caught up into the third heaven. This is a grand, fantastic spiritual experience. The Greeks, when they spoke of the heavens, they spoke of three heavens. The first heaven is the heaven that you see by day. That's if you can see past our clouds. If you see the blue sky, that's the first heaven. That's our atmosphere. Then the second heaven is the second is the heaven you see by night. When the sun is not lighting up the atmosphere, then you can see beyond the atmosphere and you see the stars and the planets and all of that. Outer space is the second heaven. The third heaven is beyond that. It's the very throne room, the dwelling place of God himself. Paul says, 
I was taken up into the third heaven, and I saw things there that can't be described. It's indescribable. It's so wonderful, and I couldn't tell you about it if I, if, if, even if I could. It's not permitted to utter all of the things that I saw there. Not for me, anyway. So I saw some things, and this is wonderful. What a great experience. Wouldn't that be grand? Has anybody here been to the third heaven? Anybody? That would be great, wouldn't it? Wow. I've been to the first heaven. Okay, granted it was an airplane, but I've been to the first heaven. Haven't been to outer space, didn't make it to astronaut school, haven't been to the second heaven, haven't yet been to the third one. But I understand I'm going there sometime. Hopefully not soon. But Paul's been there. Wow. Imagine if you could say, I've been, to the, I, I've been into the, what, what a spiritual, spectacular thing. Um, everybody would want to, what did you see? What did you hear? What do you think about whatever? Because you're somebody, you've been there. And Paul didn't want any of that, although there's the danger of it. But given this grand spiritual privilege, unlike anything, it seems, that we've experienced, then Paul is also given a thorn in the flesh. Now, why is Paul given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan? Why does God do that in the midst of giving him such a wonderful, special privilege of seeing, of having, having the realities of God revealed to him in such a way? He gives him this thorn in the flesh. He allows a satanic messenger to hinder and hobble him. This thorn in the flesh, many, many believe it's probably, I think I mentioned this last week, probably an eye trouble, an eye ailment of some sort. Something that affected his eyesight. Uh, Paul's handwriting was larger than most, and, um, or was larger than normal, according to one of his letters. And, and, and also, he, he, he refers to something wrong with his eyes at one point, and it, and it may have been something that also caused some drainage out of his eyes. Very, very unpleasant to look at. And certainly would, would hobble a public speaker as well as somebody that labored in the, in the sacred scriptures. Why would God allow that? Well, we're told. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to suggest. We're told. Why does God do this? That this is a messenger from Satan that's given him for a particular reason so that he would not become conceited. So that he would not. It's said both before and after. There's apparently a great danger with great spiritual privilege that those who have such great spiritual privilege would be carried along about themselves in pride. So that I would not lift myself over and above others would be a literal way of saying it. And before and after God allows him to be humbled. God allows the enemy to take some swings at him. Does God really do that? Does God allow, the same God who told us, pray this way, pray that you would be delivered from evil. Does the same God sometimes allow the evil one to, to go so far? To have room to touch us? Well, apparently, with Job, he did. And he accomplished some purpose through that. He had, he had a demonstration before all of heaven as, as well as he, he accomplished something that we look in on and we learn from that. Saints in the Old Testament and the New for, for several thousand years now have benefited from Job's experience in ways that Job never imagined. So something going on there. God will use weakening. God will use the thorns 
of the curse, this thorn in his flesh, his weak humanity, his vulnerable humanity. And there's this thorn. Thorns are elements, evidence, reminders. It's an image of the curse. So something about this, the curse, the brokenness of our creation is given entrance into Paul's life to hinder him, to hobble him. And Paul's response in this is to pray. But when he prays, he doesn't pray as if God is a vending machine. He prays, though, repeatedly. I mean, it's good. We have trouble. We pray. And if God doesn't answer the way we wanted, what do we do then? We might take our toys and go home. We might pray again. Paul prays again. God still doesn't answer the way that he wanted to. God, Paul prays again. Is, is, is that okay to keep bothering God with your stuff if it doesn't seem to be what God wants to do? Is that okay? What do you think? We do it all the time. We, we, I do a lot of things all the time that are not okay. All right? That is our experience, though, isn't it? And Jesus even gives us an example. He tells a story of a widow who he, he compares prayer to this, that this widow, she continued to go to this judge and appeal to this judge day and night that he would give her relief. And he doesn't want, he doesn't care. Jesus says, this guy doesn't care, but finally he'll, he'll do what she needs simply because he wants relief from her request. And God says, or, or rather Jesus says, your father is not like that. And the analogy is, yes, you will continue. Jesus encouraged us to, to persist in prayer, to persevere in prayer, to keep praying. And yet it's not because if we twist God's arm long enough or just wear him out like a three-year-old tries their parent, that he'll give in just to shut us up. Your father is not like that. And that's a good thing. God is not a vending machine that sooner or later, God is not a slot machine that sooner or later you put enough quarters in, it's got to pay off. The odds say that it will. Paul prays. He prays because he knew that God could. He didn't know that God would, but he asked that God would. I mean, it makes sense. This is hindering his ministry. This is, this is God's premier champion, Right? This is God's champion of the gospel to the nations right now. God's using this guy. Don't let anything hold him back. So certainly God would take this away, wouldn't he? It's not really hindering his ministry. Because the answer comes that my grace is sufficient for you. In fact, God says, my power, my enabling, my, my dynamite type, explosive, make things happen. Power is perfected. It reaches its end. It accomplishes its purposes through weakness. My grace is enough for you. It's sufficient. It meets the need. It's full up. That's what you need. You don't need this healing. You, you, all you need is my grace. In the midst of your weakness, you need my grace, my divine enabling, my power that works in your weakness, not out of your strength. Now, that's a, that's a radical new norm. I was reading a, a book. It's called Glorious Ruin. It's about God's work in suffering. 
And he tells the story. He tells the story in this book of a man named Andre, Andre Dubas. Andre Dubas was a short story author in the, in, 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 in the Boston area. He's driving along. He comes across a car accident. There are two people in the car injured, not able to get out of the car. The car is still in danger there in the roadway. And, and, and so he's, he, stops, he stops ahead of them. He comes back, and he's, he's helping the first person out of the car. While he's helping that first person out of the car and beginning to carry them towards safety, around the side of the car towards safety, another car coming down the road doesn't have time to stop or wasn't paying attention or something, swerves at the last moment, loses control, and smashes right into the car that was on the side of the road that had the accident. Andre was able to push his charge, the person that he was carrying, out of danger, into safety, but that oncoming car struck the other car, killed the other occupant inside the car that he was still going to help, killed them instantly, but the car also struck Andre. It crushed his legs. He was paralyzed from the waist down. He suffered ongoing pain, ongoing uh, chronic uh, infections. He needed a lot of care. He needed a lot of assistance. He was in a lot of suffering. It was, it was almost more than he or his, and his wife can bear. In fact, his wife ended up leaving him, taking his two daughters with her. In the midst of this hardship, Andre comes to faith in Christ. If, he doesn't, if he's not converted to faith in Christ, his uh, shallow and a nominal faith that he expressed prior to that has deepened into a living, vibrant trust, desperate trust in his Savior. And he writes this about the experience of all of that hardship, one stacked onto another. He says, to live in the world as a cripple allows you to see more clearly the crippled hearts of some people whose bodies are whole and sound. All of us from time to time suffer this crippling. Some suffer it daily and nightly, while others, maybe most of us, Nearly all of us have compassion and love in our hearts. We cannot or will not see these barely visible wounds of other, humans beings, other human beings. And so we cannot or will not pick up the telephone or travel to someone's home or write a note or make some other seemingly trifling gesture to give someone what only we and God can give. An hour's respite or a day's or a night's, sometimes more than respite, sometimes joy. We could give that if we noticed the crippling of heart, the red-rimmed eyes of another carrying sorrow that they're not quite ready to tell about. And, and the crippling in our own lives often allows us to see some of that. It joins us in some way to the weakness, to trouble, to the thorn in the flesh that someone else also bears. Andre said that it's what pushed him closer to the Savior, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. It's, he experienced something of what the Savior willingly took on for him. And he was, he was much more aware. His radar was attuned to the same kind of crippling needs in the bodies or even the hearts of others. Rather than a thorn in the flesh hobbling Paul's ministry, it probably greatly strengthened it. That's a radical new norm that, 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 that um, looks for God's power and weakness rather than in successes and greatness. That's what he gets to in verses 11 to 13. 
seems foolish. You forced me to it. I, I ought to have been commended by you, for I was not at all inferior to those super apostles, even though I am nothing. He says, for the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. And we often will read that, and some translations even more clearly will, will take that somewhat awkward sentence, and they will, they will make that the signs of a true apostle are merely these, these great attesting signs or wonders or miraculous works. And yet Paul himself tells us, Watch out for signs and wonders. Jesus himself said signs and wonders are not the thing. He said they've got Moses and the prophets. They've got the book. If they don't believe Moses and the prophets, he says they won't believe even if somebody were to rise from the dead. And Jesus did it. And still they didn't believe. We're warned against signs and wonders. And a couple of verses I want to just quickly show you. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. Those are not the signs of a true apostle, however. Matthew 24, Jesus warns us, false Christ, false prophets will arise and they will perform great signs and wonders so that as if it were possible, they would even deceive God's chosen. Why does this happen? Why did they do this? Because 2 Corinthians 11, the chapter we just came out of, Paul said, for such men are false apostles. It's no wonder that they disguise themselves as apostles of light because Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. So the signs and wonders themselves, they're not the sign. What, what signs would Paul point to? What are Paul's signs of an apostles that were also sometimes accompanied by miraculous work? God did do amazing things. God, God did all kinds of miraculous stuff through Paul as well. But what did Paul consider the true signs of an apostle? He said, are they servants of Christ? Are, are I far more back in chapter 11. I said, I'm a better servant as crazy as that sounds. And then he begins to, to, to list off his imprisonments, his countless beatings, his, his time shipwrecked and stoned, and on he goes with a, with a litany of hardship and sufferings that were his resume of servanthood, of apostleship. He does the same thing in, in, in the same book, 2 Corinthians, the same letter in chapter 6 from verse 4. Let me find verse 4. Right after verse 3. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Colon. How? What kind of ways? By great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Anybody ready to sign up? Say, that's the career I want. That's the recognition I want. Those are the experiences I'm after. Haven't had enough yet? Look over at chapter 4. Same letter, chapter 4. Verse 7, we have this treasure, this treasure of God, God revealing himself through us, this, this wonderful gospel of the new covenant. We have this treasure, verse 7, in jars of clay, Tupperware of our day, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. That's what Paul says, serving Christ. That's the, that, that's the, that's the likeness, that's the evidence of a true messenger of God because that points toward 
Jesus himself, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, the one who came not to be served and honored, but to be served and to be despised and rejected and to give his life in suffering a ransom for many. And we know something more of him in the midst of the hardest stuff of life rather than the glories and the successes of this world. Paul says God is doing his work here. God's power is perfected. God's greatest work is being finished, reaching its intended end, not in the glory, but in weakness. You say, well, that's good for Paul, but how does that relate to us? Because as you said before, we haven't been in the the third heaven we haven't seen those kind of revelations of God. Why would God need to, need to allow thorns in the flesh for us? Why would we need that, that guarding against conceit, against lifting ourselves up that was apparently good for Paul and strengthened his ministry? I haven't got those kind of grand third heavenly revelations, do I? Or do you? You say, I haven't been to the third heaven. But what if third heaven brought it to you? You've certainly got the, the greatest of what Paul's got in his 13 different letters that God has given to the church. Not only that, you have more than Paul had. You have a fourfold, a four-facet, four different views from four different perspectives to show us something of the grandness of the revelation of God in Jesus Christ himself, a fourfold gospel. Paul may have had Luke's account toward the end of his ministry. Not only that. But you've got John's take on it interpreted to the church in his letters. You have got Jude's take on it. You have got James's take on it. You have got Peter's two letters. And not only that, as if that were not enough, Peter could say, we sat with him. We were with him there on the holy mount. We saw that transformation. John went one better than that, didn't he? In the midst of his suffering Exile on the island of Patmos, John is given a vision. I want to think John's vision was better than Paul's vision. I would be speaking like a fool as well. My vision's better than your vision, but Paul's, Paul, John's vision is great. Wow. There he is in misery on a, on a lonely exile island, hardly anybody else around. And the, the glorified Lord Jesus himself appears to him, and he sees him. And not only that, but Jesus, at the end, at the close of that first century, Jesus gives specific words to seven specific churches that are words that will echo down through the church age, even to us. Not only that, but then Jesus grabs John, catches him up into the very throne room of God in Revelation chapter 4. And there he sees, the, he sees the Lord as a lamb slain. He sees him take the scroll from the very hand of God and begin to open it. And he sees the judgment of God that is going to be poured out upon this world that God is going to take all that's wrong and, and confront it and deal with it and make it right and bring justice and bring righteousness. And, and all the way through the end of the book after his panorama through history of what God has been doing, the spiritual battle that has been at play, especially in chapters 12 and 13. Then you get to chapter 19, and John sees, John sees Jesus coming and the armies of heaven with him. And, and he, he defeats the enemy 
with a sword of the word of his mouth. And Jesus is victorious. And there's the great judgment of God. And there is a new heaven and a new earth. And there is no more death and there's no more tear. And there we are in the presence of our God forever. And John, by the way, Jesus grabbed hold of John and lifted him up. And John grabs hold of us and takes us there too. We have this book of Revelation. I want to suggest you may have not been to the third heaven, but the third heaven's been brought down to you. And you perhaps have even more revelation. You have a grander picture of it all together than maybe even Paul did. The greatest hindrance, perhaps, for our ministry of this grand privilege is that we might lift ourselves up because of it. One of, the, one of the greatest things to get in the way of sharing the gospel with somebody else is when we talk it down to them. Coming from a place of, I'm okay, you're not okay. And God will perhaps allow us to endure weakness, to taste the ugliness and the impact and the tragedy of sin, the hurt of it, the unjust of it, the twistedness of it, even ourselves as his own dear loved ones that our heart might be tuned and tender, that we would be as broken people in a broken world, seeing others who also, like us, desperately need our Savior. That's Paul's point. That's Paul understood why he had this thorn. God told him so that he would not be lifted up. It came before, it came after. It's repeated. It's got to be important, and it's important for us. There's an emphasis on humility that understands. That's where grace can work out of. Grace works out of humility, not pride. God's grace works out of our weakness, not out of our strength. Let me go back to this book one more time if I can find one other quote I wanted to share with you. The reason God works, according to an author named Robert Capon, the reason that God uses our weakness rather than our strength. God's grace shows up there because Jesus came to raise the dead. He did not come to reward the rewardable, to improve the improvable, to correct the correctable. He came simply to be the resurrection and the life for those who will take their stand on a death he can use instead of a life he cannot. There's some language out there that says, oh, if somebody would just give their life to Christ. That misunderstands the gospel. Because apart from Christ, they do not have life. They are dead in trespasses and sins. They've got nothing to offer that God can use, but God will give them everything. God will give them the life of his own son, even as he has for you and I, if you believe that Jesus is the one who died for your sins, that he is your savior, that your acceptance before God is not because of what you do, who you are, how you behave. It's because Jesus loved you and died for you. And trusting in his work for you makes you acceptable in God's sight. Jesus does that for us. We don't have a life to give to Christ. He gives his life for us. For those who will take their stand on a death, Christ's death, which he can use instead of our life, our broken life, our sinful life that he cannot use. 
So Paul says in Galatians 2, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet this life which I now live in this flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What does that look like? What does that look like to to then be used by God in our weakness rather than in our strength. How would I, how would you and I, Paul says, I glory in my infirmity, I glory then in my weaknesses. For when I am weak, then I am strong because the power of Christ rests upon me. How would we do that? How would we then do what Paul does here? How would we glory? If we share the same weaknesses, the same thorns, the same infirmities, how would we then live in that? Well, that's what Andrew was describing with his dad, Louis Palau. He's keen for heaven as ever. The process is killing him. Inspiring hope in a whole auditorium of people who grieve for the coming loss of a wonderful, dear servant of Christ. And so, what does that look like for us, though? I'm not Louis Palau. You're not Louis Palau. You remember Art Bowen? Some of you remember Art Bowen, a, a, a dear, sweet man here in the church for many, many, many years. Uh, passed away in his, I, I, I think, he, I want to say he was 90 or 91. Art, for, for many years, his, his later years in his life, he was on dialysis, and it was not fun. In fact, when he first started dialysis, he had the nighttime appointments because they give, when you first join, they give you the worst appointments that others don't want. And, and he would get up in the middle of the night to, be, to go or be taken to dialysis. And yet, he made dialysis his ministry. He made that a point of connection. They eventually had to change the rules about visiting and talking because Art would come in early for his appointment. Before he ever got down to his chair, he would go around and visit and talk to and greet and often pray for everybody else in the room. He saw his dialysis as an opportunity to be there where there were hurting people that he could minister to, he could encourage, and at times he could share his hope in Jesus with because they all had the same destination ahead of them. Death was coming, and Art knew the answer to it. I received an email from someone in our church body that... um, just this last week, end of the week, they saw my blast and where we were going in the message today, and they sent me this email, shared this with me. They were meditating in the same chapter afterwards. And she says, today has been a hard day with my health, a seeming setback. I went in this morning to another blood draw from other testing, was able to love on the woman taking my blood and share Jesus with her as she asked why I have been in so much getting my blood drawn. I was able to answer her by telling her about what's going on and sharing Jesus. It was simple. I left the room thanking Jesus for the sickness. If I did not have this, I would not have met this woman or the other doctors or have been able to pray for the sick with the same desperate crying out to Jesus like I am able to because I know what it feels like to be in the deep pit of discouragement. Later this evening, she says, a woman texted me who was going through a similar trial asking for prayer because she had just come from a discouraging doctor appointment. She closes, quoting the Psalms, I lift up my hills I lifted my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Yoo-hoo. Yahoo. I'm not sure how that. I, I, this is where help comes from. Oh, my goodness. That kind of hope in the midst of trouble. Because that trouble gives me opportunity to talk to somebody else in trouble about Jesus. 
What does it look like that we glory in our weaknesses? I used to think I knew how to preach. Relied a lot more on myself than I did God's enabling power. I think of a, a youth volunteer. Somebody who says, you know, I kind of like to work with teenagers. That'd be really cool. That's such a, such, a, such a critical, important ministry. But, Lord, I'm not young anymore. I don't have that energy. Lord, I don't think like teens think today. I don't really understand teens. I don't understand my own. I, I don't know. Perfect. Perfect. You haven't got a clue. You are going to be desperately dependent on God's grace in that ministry. You could be just the one. It's not about me. It's not about what I can do. It's what God would be pleased to do through us. Paul's response is to pray, to pray for deliverance, but also to pray for grace in thorns. I want to close on this reminder. We were in the book of Ephesians a few months back, and Paul is aware of spiritual opposition against Christ's church in Ephesus, perhaps more than anywhere else. Paul knows the trouble that's there. Paul knows the enemy is at hand. He, 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 he addresses it directly in chapter 6, but there's hints of it all through the book. And so it's interesting to me that he starts out praying for them this way, knowing the troubles that they face. He doesn't pray specifically about those troubles. He prays this way. He says, chapter, chapter 1, verse 17, well, verse 15, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to pray, to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayer, praying specifically this way, that you would have your, the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, that you would know God's glorious future for you, laid out in his word so clearly that you would know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, how precious you are to God for his future, and that you would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, power that is perfected in our weakness. You are walking in the midst of thorns. Many of you are. You're in the midst of it right now. It might be it might be physical illness. Maybe you've had one of those diagnoses. You've come back from the doctor with, with bad news. Maybe it's somebody else, somebody who's close to you, somebody that you're concerned about. You wish you could do something, and yet you're powerless. Maybe it's a sadness. Maybe it's a grief. Maybe there's a relationship that has been broken. Maybe it's even headed toward divorce or has already, already arrived there. Maybe it's the separation of death. Maybe it's the tragic circumstances or consequences of somebody's sinful choices that are now playing out in life and it aches your heart. Maybe there's a pressing need. Maybe it's finances. Lonely. Maybe it's a temptation that you feel the enemy continues to barrage, barrage you with, just to continue to throw at you, easily besetting sin, and you don't know how you can resist it. We're going to do what Paul did. I want to invite you, if you're in the midst of thorns, and perhaps most of us are, either we've just come from there, we're there, or they're coming. I'm going to ask you to stand up as we close in prayer together. If, if you say, yeah, 
physical things, illness, a physical thorn in the flesh, maybe something like Paul's. I don't know the exact malady, but something like that in me or somebody near to me, somebody I care about, somebody I'm worried for. I want want to ask you to stand up. Maybe it's Maybe it's trouble and tragedy. Maybe it's sadness and grief. Maybe there's a longing. Maybe there's, a, there's the circumstances that sin has caused in you or somebody near you. You're grieving it. You desperately want God to change things. Stand up. Maybe there's needs you're facing. You don't know. You don't know what's going to happen here. I don't know how I'm going to do this. Let's pray. God, you know these needs. Lord, you, you know every one of them. You're inside them. These thorns do not come because you don't know or because you're too busy somewhere else, Father. You've allowed it. Yet, Lord, we would ask that you would intervene. First of all, in these, in these cases of illness or sickness, Father, in, in a broken relationship where somebody has, has determined to go, instead of stay. There's a breaking apart of covenant love. There's the hurts or the consequences of sin. Father, would you intervene? Would you somehow put this broken thing back together? Oh God, our hearts ache. God, we have needs that we cannot meet. We don't know where it's going to come from. Lord, There are folks in this room this morning that finances are pressing upon them. Everything feels great. The economy seems to be so much better now, but that personal economy is not. Oh, God, would you intervene? And Lord, also, in the midst of our needs, all kinds of them, Lord, would you show us yourself? Lord, would you first of all gaze, direct our vision, turn our head back onto the face of Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. Lord, to understand again that even the mocking, the derision, the pain, the suffer, the horror, the death, that was because of his love for me, for each of these who now hurt. Oh, God, use this taste of of thorn. Lord, use this to tender our hearts to the people around us, that we would care for them something the way you love us. And Lord, we'll trust you. We'll trust you however you answer. We will trust that your grace is enough. Jesus' name.